0: Pray with me, please. Be with us this morning, God. Quiet our hearts. May our spirits be still that we might hear from you. Amen. It had all been going so well. Jesus had returned to his hometown synagogue. He'd read to them the words of the prophet Isaiah. And he'd won them over by saying that through him, these words were now being fulfilled. And then the service had ended, and the postlude had begun, and they'd greeted him in the vestibule, and then, well, then it all went south, didn't it? For like all of us preacher types, he wasn't done preaching just because he'd finished his sermon And so, if you'll recall, he suddenly said out there in the vestibule, apropos seemingly of nothing, if you'll recall, there were many widows in Israel during the days of the famine, but Elijah was sent only to a widow in Sidon. Well, this comment sure stopped them dead in their tracks. Wait, what did he just say? They whispered to one another, did he just say something about Sidon? Yeah, he goes on, and similarly, don't you remember, during the days of Elisha, there were plenty of lepers in Israel, but Elijah was sent to heal only that leper in Syria. You remember, it's in the scripture. Well, now that sudden hush that had fallen over the crowd became hostile. Hostile. And all of that goodwill that he'd built up just moments before, gone. So much so that they, quote, were filled with rage, the text says. Going on to say, and so they drove him out of town, quote, that they might throw him off of a cliff. bit of an overreaction if you ask me. You know, it's amazing how adept we are at picking and choosing what from the scriptures we want to celebrate and what we want to bury. We all do it. And we shouldn't necessarily be ashamed of this because the very nature of the scriptures not only invites, but necessitates our wrestling with it. And making choices as to what we will foreground and what we will give less credence to. But this isn't the kind of picking and choosing that I'm talking about. Instead, I'm talking about how prone we are to elevating the parts of Scripture that we like. And to pretending as if the other parts aren't even there. You know, like the Nazarenes are doing in this passage from Luke chapter 4. That we're discussing today for that is what's gotten their feathers so ruffled here you know it's because Jesus has just inspired them with this message of good news this message of healings and liberations and transformations about to take place among them But he's then dared to remind them that according to their own scriptures and tradition, this good news is on offer to the Gentiles as well. And this, mind you, ought not to be shocking to them. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God told Abraham in the very beginning of their story. Yes, you, Israel, shall be a light to all nations, the prophet Isaiah prophesied. All the nations shall worship you, the psalmist wrote. Yes, they ought not to be so surprised at Jesus saying this, for it's a theme that is sounded throughout the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures, that God's love and compassion and mercy extends beyond them and into all the earth. But these folks at First Nazarene Church don't want to hear that part of the scripture. They want to hear the parts about their poor receiving good news and their blind receiving sight and the year of the Lord's favor becoming a reality for them. They want to hear those parts of Scripture about God sitting in condemnation of the Gentiles and of God doting on them, Israel, as God's chosen people. And so that is what this Nazarene fellowship is suddenly so upset with Jesus about for reminding them of this unpleasant truth, of this aspect of their Scriptures that they prefer not to acknowledge. Yes, Jesus is in effect saying to them, all that I have just told you in my sermon is true. All that you have gotten so excited about is indeed exciting. God's kingdom is now at hand. But make no mistake before you leave, he's saying, this good news is not only for us, but it's also for them too. That's all he was telling them. And for it, they decided to throw him off of a cliff. Do y'all remember the Old Testament prophet Jonah? He's one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. Yeah, I like him too. (laughs) He's the one who at first refuses to take a message of mercy from God to the Ninevites... And who then, when given a second chance, does take the message, but takes it grudgingly and despairingly. This is why I didn't want to come. He then rages at God at the end of the story when God does indeed show mercy to Nineveh. This is why I didn't want to come because, quote, I knew that you were a merciful God, abounding in steadfast love. In other words, I didn't want to come because I'm not okay with these people. And deep down, I know that you love them and accept them just as much as you love me and accept me. And God, I'm just not good with that. You know why I love this story so much? because Jonah's is me because Jonah is all of us because as much as we hate to admit it we all have ideas about why we are worthy and others aren't and we all have ideas about who should be within the bounds of God's mercy and love and acceptance and who shouldn't we all do Thus, the book of Jonah, just four little pages in the Bible, is something like a mirror in that way. For if we look clearly into it, we see ourselves looking back. And I mentioned Jonah this morning so as to say, just as Jonah already knew beforehand before going to Nineveh, that God's nature was love, that God was merciful and abounding in steadfast love, as he put it, toward those inside and outside of his own, Jonah's own kin. Just as Jonah already knew that, so too did the Nazarenes in our gospel lesson already know that too. For they have read the same scriptures that Jonah had read. They, like Jonah, know what their tradition has to say about God's loving, compassionate, merciful nature. It's simply that just as with Jonah, they don't want to be reminded of that. And so just like Jonah rather than celebrate the nature of God they rail with rage against it how long must we perpetuate this propensity as people of faith till the return of Christ i suppose we certainly can't deny that it's with us always. Just take a cursory glance at church history. No sooner have we finally accepted that God loves some outside other, than we find a new other to keep outside. We do it over and over and over again. And what's more, no sooner does some prophet or preacher come along and tell us that God loves them, whoever they happen to be in the moment, as much as God loves us. And we too are ready to rage to God like Jonah. Are ready to throw the preacher off a cliff like the Nazarenes. Yes, all were filled with rage, Luke writes. Well, all still are. Because that indomitable thing that we Christians call sin, that brokenness that sits at the very core of our fallen humanity, is always at work inside of us, safeguarding the self at the expense of others, defending the group, and casting judgment on anyone outside of it. Consequently, then, all it takes is someone to stand up and remind us of how far-reaching God's love really is to then incite that rage. But that doesn't change the simple fact that the rage is misplaced. For as true as it is that there are plenty of passages in the scriptures that can be marshaled to offend God as a territorial exclusivist God, and they are there. There are countless more that present God as a God who is merciful and abounding in steadfast love. In you all peoples of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abraham in the beginning. Not just your people. Not just some people. All. And in the same way, Jesus said to us, his disciples in our origin story as Christians, repentance and forgiveness is to be proclaimed in my name to all. You'll recall Peter didn't like that at first. If you'll recall James didn't like that at first. If you'll recall Paul really didn't like that at first. But these came around to the grace of the Spirit of God, to all of our great benefit, these came around. For they each, and each in different ways, realized that this far-reaching, expansive love of God has been part of the faith tradition all along, right there in their scriptures, our scriptures. So might the scriptures then be a mirror for us, as the scriptures were a mirror for them? Might we look straight into that mirror? Might we see ourselves in that mirror? And might we recoil at some of the things that we see? So that, in response to that which we see, we might become more gracious, more merciful and more abounding in steadfast love ourselves on its account. And all God's people said, Amen.